You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, as always, the Football Grump, and with me is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, did you feel that? It's the feeling of victory. <laughs> walking out walking out of the Meadowlands with a win. I, I, I don't remember what that was like. Strange it was great. Strange and unusual. Yeah. <laughs> a very blustery and freezing cold Meadowlands, but we'll take the victory. That's what it takes. Uh, this team has to play in the cold. Exactly. It's a carryover from last year where they were winning down the stretch and struggling kind of early on. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think the overriding theme is that, you know, yes, you kind of like your first reaction is, oh, man, we shouldn't win games like this. We're screwing up trap picks. But the fact of the matter is we're at week nine or week ten. There's a long way to go in this season. And individual losses, you can't start looking at that just yet. You know, you still have four home games half of the season, a lot of money invested and you're playing a team that, you know, it looks good that you beat, you know, we'll, you can worry about the Clevelands and the 49ers and other shitty teams later on, but a win is a win. And it's nice to feel for once that, uh, you know, it may not mean anything in the big picture, but you don't want to be a team in complete turmoil because nobody plays at their best. And that's when injuries happen and you get a distorted view of your team. So I'm glad I'm glad they stepped up and, and they showed some heart after the debacles we've seen the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't usually. Well, I'd say I agree with the uh, the big blue view about fifty percent of the time. I uh, it's right down the middle for me. But one of the things I truly agree with is I don't believe in playing for draft picks. I understand the season's lost, but it, this this isn't the NBA where you draft one guy and suddenly you go from worst to first. It does not usually happen in the NFL, and if it does, it's quarterback only, and it's usually one of those slam dunk quarterbacks like Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning. Um, if it's week seventeen, and we obviously have nothing to play for, and it's one of those, well, we could be the one versus two. That's a different scenario. Yeah. But week ten, you know, again, it's a disservice to the people who pay good money for season tickets, the people who invest three hours of their time every week. It's, well, an, it's, it's a disservice to everybody in the organization to, to be in tank mode right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and Big Blue View has been uh, on the forefront of fighting people on that who are saying, like, ah, they can't even lose right. Um, yeah, this isn't the time to tank. Um, and for anybody who's watched around the league, they are not getting the first-round draft pick. If you watch the Cleveland game, I've never seen a team try harder to lose than Cleveland. Uh well, they're not trying hard. They just suck. Yeah, it's just no, com- it's it's a complete mess from the top down on that. No, team. that's that's what I mean. Uh, it's it's amazing. You forget how good Joe Thomas is until he's out. My God, Deshaun Kaiser was under so much pressure in that game. It's not even funny. Like that, it's actually sad. And, uh, and that's why that's why all the talk of oh they should just trade for Joe Thomas is like why in Cleveland's right mind would they do that yeah, unless yeah. they're getting like one of the top two overall picks and a team that's trading for Joe Thomas is not doing that. So that's why that was so silly to begin with. It's like, why would Cleveland do that? Yeah. Um, 
for for anybody who's really interested in how how hard the Giants would have to tank to out tank Cleveland, just watch the last game. It's it's actually difficult to watch. Um, but I mean, enough bad news. This is this is a good news podcast. We're back in the New York group here. The Giants won twelve to nine in overtime. You know that sounds like a uh, losing team winning a game, but it's actually a lot more important than that. There were a lot of positives that aren't showing up in the score there. Uh, or even in this, even in the, uh, the box score and statistics, cause I was just kind of going through, you know, individual numbers and stuff. And you look at it collectively and you're like, ugh. yeah, and no, that game no, no. was kind of a, and that game was kind of an, ugh, but, but there's a lot of things to look into. I mean, for starters, you look at the records for these two teams, one and eight versus six and three. And it's a, one of the highest scoring offenses in the league didn't score a touchdown. I mean, that's absolutely astounding. This is a team that averaged 31 points a game on the road, didn't score a touchdown, not one. Well, let's put a giant asterisk in that game too because anybody that was at the Meadowlands yesterday knows the conditions were brutal. That was a, it was a solid wind blowing from left end zone to right end zone. You could see it in several passes. They were just battered, batted down by the wind. You saw... You know the kicking game was a mess. So, yeah, well, and both teams ga- both teams game plan for crappy weather like that. Yeah, but but let's let's so that's something that you and I talked about initially after the game. But after rewatching the game, I have to say that I'm not going to put a giant asterisk there. Right? Just a just a little one. Um, if you look at the way Cleveland was, or sorry, Cleveland, Kansas <laughs> City, Kansas City was able to run the ball. That was not a Freudian slip, by the way. Uh, Kansas City was averaging four and a half yards per carry. So, you know, the idea that the wind played a major influence in the fact that Kansas City didn't score a touchdown, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, it it definitely factored into the game overall, but Mm -hmm. the Giants' defense showed up to play. Uh, You know, in coverage, they were pretty good. They they allowed maybe three big plays in the air. One of two of which, two of which were just excellent plays by Kansas City wide receivers. One by Travis Kelsey is the first play of the game, where he kind of like in in blanket coverage was able to bobble the ball back to himself. And the other one was Tyree Kill just kind of out jumped Janoris Jenkins. I mean, they were both you know big plays um, that were just good plays that'll happen. Yeah, let me rephrase that a little bit. I guess you know not necessarily on the play calling and you know it, to me it was just. It was a complete lack of aggression by Kansas City. That like, I'll say is true. Yeah. Because they were, you know, every play, you know, the snap count was down to, you know, the play clock three, two. There was no sense of urgency, you know, before the half. There was no sense of urgency even in the fourth quarter. It was just kind of like they wanted to shorten this game as fast as possible. I don't know if they just wanted to get together with a win and move on. But to me, when you're playing a bad team and, you know, okay, we're excited we won. But we're still a bad team right now. You want the game to be as long as possible because the longer a game is, the more weakness is exposed on the other team. You know, the, the bad team wants to shorten the game up and make as less possessions and last plays as possible. So it was just a bad you know, game mindset. That, yeah, game plan, a mindset that Kansas City was in. And I said this to you, you know, early on in the game, and it, and it helped you the whole game. I'm like, they're not trying to win this game. They're just trying to survive it and move on. Yeah, it was kind of bizarre to watch. <laughs> I'll also add that I'm not a big believer in Alex Smith. Um, I know that Andy Reid is very good at knowing what the guy's strengths are and kind of moving towards that. And he's certainly um, added the, you know, the option, the spread play, the, you know, the double option, triple option to 
this offense. It's not something that's an Andy Reid staple or anything like that. I think he just knows what Alex Smith is really good at. But at the end of the day, when you force Alex Smith to have to like drop back and make throws, he's just not great. Well, he's just good enough. Alex Smith is in that small no man's land of slightly better than average. Yeah. You know, the NFL has elite quarterbacks. It's got really, really bad quarterbacks. There's not that many people in that DMZ zone where they're, you know, <laughs> yeah, good enough. You know, some days they look really great. They may have a a three or four week run of, wow, this guy is a pro bowler or what he did earlier in the year could be the MVP, which again, another example of stop crowning people MVPs in September, please. You <laughs> play a season and that goes for every sport. I don't want to hear about who's the MVP in the in the NBA in October. I don't want to hear the, N- the MVP is in the NFL in September because that's an example. Yeah, but you know he's a you know he's a quarterback that fifteen to eighteen teams in this league wish they had. Yeah, I would say yeah. Um, and this this version of Alex Smith with uh, with Andy Reid is probably the best you'll ever see of him. Uh, this this style offense. And the way that this, yeah, the the way that Kansas City is set up, it's it's set up entirely on speed, which made it way more impressive to me that the Giants were able to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that in the defensive backfield they're built on speed. You know, got uh, you know, DRC is one of the fastest guys there is. Norris Jenkins is very fast. Um, but as far as speed goes, that's pretty much all I can speak of on defense. You know, yeah. you've got your upfield guys like Olivier Vernon and. You know, JPP probably has some short area quickness. Same with, you know, snacks. But overall, it's not a fast defense that you see flying around the field. Definitely not. No, no. Technically sound, but not fast. Yeah. And if you look at the box score, the other thing you'll notice is that, you know, if I said to you they shut down Travis Kelsey, you'd call me a liar because he had eight catches for 109 yards. But they really did shut down Travis Kelsey. I mean, I don't mean just out of the end zone. I mean, he had one play that was just damn good where he sort of bobbled it back to himself, which I mentioned earlier. And then another one still in the first half where they had like a long strike to him. But for the most part, Travis Kelsey was pretty boxed in for most of the game. A lot of his eight catches were in the short area. He just had yeah. two big plays that are padding his numbers. Right. I didn't feel like he was killing us all game long by any stretch. No, which is what I expected. Mm-hmm. And he might be in the elite group of people. I don't know if anyone else has this stat ever in the history of NFL, but he was the receiver on an interception and the passer on an interception in one game. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? But yeah, it was, uh, we saw two interceptions in this game that were thrown by non quarterbacks. That was pretty funny. You don't see that every day. Interesting. Um, on on a day where the conditions were not ideal, everybody bringing out their bag (laughs) of tricks was very interesting. Yeah. I, I just didn't expect them in the throwing game. Bag of yeah. The fake punt makes sense to me. The other two plays, not so much. No, and, and where they were, and, and you know, down in distance, we made it was very strange too. Yeah, stupid. So a couple, a couple of things that obviously a lot of people are talking about in this game. Uh, I think the biggest one is probably Chad Wheeler playing at right tackle. Um, initially watching the game live, I was trying to watch him, but I was just too excited that the game was close at all. That I was not doing a good job. But, you know, even when you're not paying attention to him, the thing that you'll notice is I haven't thought about him this whole time, which is a good stat. Right. Um, 
in rewatching the game, I'll say Chad Wheeler was okay. He was not great by any means. He was not even, I would say, good. Uh, but he was okay. Well, I mean, and for a first game against Justin Houston, that's really good. But I'm not going to inflate it I, I to think, something more than it was. I think it's a bit of a harsh criticism to say not good. I mean, I think collectively the offensive line played pretty well, and you know, I, I wouldn't. You know, again, the bar is so low on this offensive line. Yes. But uh, again, the, the comment you made about not re- thinking about him out there. I said several times during the game to you, you know, has Eli been sacked yet? Has Eli been sacked yet? And the answer is no, no, no. Was he really even pressured at all during the game? Not really. So No, I, I still though, you can see the difference in this offense when Eli has time to look downfield and throw downfield. It's very effective. I mean, these are good wide receivers. Even the, the fourth and fifth wide receivers in Tavares King and Roger Lewis are pretty damn good for fourth and fifth wide receivers. I can say it about every team in the league, though, too. If a quarterback has time to throw... Well, no, 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 but, but I mean, I don't mean time to throw like 10 seconds to throw. I mean, if he's able to not get rid of it quickly, which is the way this offense is set up to protect Eli from the poor tackle play, is to get it out of his hand in two seconds or less. I mean, if he has three to five seconds back there, whatever a standard five-step drop is to go through about three progressions, he doesn't have that as part of the stable of this offense. I will say if he could have that, we, we've seen, at least in this game, he finally had some time, you know, what he's capable of doing. There are a lot of downfield passes in this game, um, even despite the weird conditions with the wind. Um, Chad Wheeler did play okay, I think, in a, in a – and I think that's for a first game ever playing out of position because he's a left tackle playing right tackle against Justin right. Houston. That is very good. But again, I'm going to just temper everybody's enthusiasm a little bit. He played okay. Um, it would be ideal if he grows into the position. But the most important thing for this team is that he played as well or better than Bobby Hart was playing. Yeah, this team needs assets and depth in the offensive line no matter where they are. And you're right. This is somebody that we didn't even think about for most of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, after, after preseason, now all of a sudden – you can somebody you can plug in at least a replacement value, something to build on. And yeah, he, he's not necessarily going to be an all-pro at right tackle, but at least you can stick him in there and not worrying about getting your quarterback killed. And right now, the, the short-term viability of this franchise is not getting Eli killed. Well, I won't even say he won't be an all-pro at right tackle. I mean, I have no idea. The i the, the the thing is, is that he played left tackle throughout college at USC. And he was, you know, not really good enough to get drafted, but probably should have been drafted around the sixth or seventh round. It really begs the question of what this offensive line could be if you have him playing at right tackle and Justin Pugh playing at left guard. If he's able to hold up the right side of that line, this could be a much different team. I mean, we this uh, this offensive line, this whole offense might be a little bit different different if Eli has one and a half more seconds. But well, we still need to see continued progression out of Eric Flowers, which mm-hmm. we. We are seeing in baby steps, you know, slowly but surely each week. I think collectively that slowly but surely shown a marked improvement from the beginning of the year. Um, still got to worry about your, you know, your right guard for sure, which you've been banging that drum for years now. Yeah. And you, and you still need depth mm-hmm. because you know our starting five. We can pencil it. We can talk about it all off season. We'll have, we'll have shows every single week from February to August talking about the offensive line and who the far, starting five should be. But we can't have another situation like this year when as soon as one person gets hurt, we have to shuffle the entire offensive line, the starters, 
you know, we need depth. Absolutely. I don't think there's, there's been, until we don't have that, we're screwed. Yeah. And I don't think there's been an offensive line in the, in the Super Bowl era that's played all 16 regular season games together. You know, right. But but how many times have those Super Bowl winning teams where one guy goes down that instead of just next man up or something? I'm I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm saying, I don't don't think there's an offensive line that's played all since 16 games together. So you need a guy that comes in and just plays that position rather than moving right. Justin Pugh across to the other side of the line and plugging somebody right. else. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, that's definitely an issue. Um, but it was encouraging seeing Chad Wheeler out there. I really thought we were going to see a shit show out there, and we didn't. And Eric Flowers, again, he played, um, I would say, average by left tackle standards. For him, outrageous. Um, he had a couple things where Eli bailed him out. Um, he's still not very good moving to his right. Uh, inside rushes are really killing him. But he looked a little bit better on polling plays this game. He allowed no pressures for, I believe, the second straight week is the stat I saw. Let me ask you something, Grub. How much is that his game planning to his deficiencies as opposed to him just legitimately getting better? Um, I'm sure they're still game planning to his deficiencies, but I think they've always been game planning to his deficiencies. So the fact that his stat line is getting better is still a, a mark of his improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the fact I, I don't think they're game planning away from his deficiencies at all. So you know, going from the beginning of the year against Dallas, where he was a nightmare, versus this right. week, uh, you know, it, it it's a credit to him. I you know, it's easy to hate on him. I certainly don't like him very much. I just I will be fair and critical of him. Um, yeah, and he played a good game for 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 him by by left tackle standards. He played average. Yeah, well, again, you asked me in week two, could you give me a left tackle who's average? We'd be jumping around doing cartwheels, so. Yeah, sure. Um, Since we're on the topic of offensive line, offensive line uh, John Jerry played a shitty game. Well, that's just a broken record. We just have to deal with him until the end of the year, and then we get to figure out what we're going to do about him because you, know, you can't hide him anywhere on this offensive line, whether it's left guard right guard wherever he is he's just not good <laughs> so i mean he he's good in a certain sense in that he's starting quality like uh he doesn't he? make he, well okay it, no but yeah he's not one of those guys who's making mistakes in coverage you know what i mean he's he's getting the right guy he's getting in place he just doesn't sustain blocks well he doesn't hold blocks well you know what i mean he's not the kind of guy who goes to block the wrong guy and there's a free rusher going at your quarterback, which I think is the fear with, you know, throwing in a rookie or, you know, whatever. Uh, he just, he's so certain. Not, so he's not, he's not catastrophic. Exactly. He's, he's not, he's not going to be the disaster that ends your franchise. Uh, but he's certainly not going to be a difference maker, but he's, he's, he's also, also just the, not also, good. Yeah. He's also the starter on a two and nine team yeah, or two yeah. and eight team. Yeah. Um, but let's flip, flip over to uh, some of the guys who played really well. Landon Collins, um, he should get Defensive Player of the Week. He was outrageous oh. in this game. He was all over the place. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had an interception. He was in coverage. He was just everywhere. He was really good down the line of scrimmage. He had a lot of tackles. His passer rating against this week, do you know what it was? I do not. Ten. Wow. Seven targets. I think he had 
three yards gained on him. Wow. His stat line was incredible in this game. Um, And this is the guy that we're used to seeing. I mean, I think, in my opinion, this defense is a whole different defense when Olivier Vernon is playing. Um, And you wouldn't know it if you looked at just Olivier Vernon's stat line, but when you watch the game, you can see he's the guy getting pressure on the quarterback. They're running away from him, and then, you know, quarterbacks are on the run. They're throwing to their right side. They're cutting the field in half by rolling out. Um, And I think that allows guys like Landon Collins to play to their strengths. Um, I think everyone plays better when Olivier Vernon is on the field. And it's what this defense is sorely lacking was a pass rush talent. Um, And personally, I don't even think Olivier Vernon is some pass rush elitist. Uh, I think he's an all-around good defensive end. I think I think the guys like JPP get more attention maybe than they deserve, and that helps him to be more effective too. Yeah, sure. I'd be remiss if I didn't say something good about Roger Lewis in this game. Uh, he had a couple of good catches in this game. All of them were clutch, all of them. Uh, but obviously the most important one was the fourth down throw deep down the left sideline in overtime. <laughs> The ballsy play call, too. Yeah, absolutely. And there were a lot of balls. There was a fake punt in this game, too, where Nat Burhe ran for uh, two, three yards, something like that. Um, but so Roger Lewis beat – first of all, all he really needed to do in this, he did early. He beat uh, the cornerback right off the line of scrimmage and got behind him on fourth down. Uh, so Eli Tart – A massive, massive no no. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're yeah, the defense, how's it yeah. possible? Is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, he beats him right off the line. Uh, Eli targets him, and he's he's wide open going for the end zone. So you do the only thing you can do as a cornerback, right? You foul him, uh, grab by the shoulder pad, and dragged to the ground. And I mean backwards. And yeah. you and I at that point were celebrating. Well, I was celebrating. You were breathing a sigh of relief, and I thought the play was over there live that play being going away from us we really thought it was over with the pass interference and the flag he actually caught the ball and it's in my opinion from watching the replay debatable as to whether or not that deserved to be a touchdown somebody still has to explain to me what a catch is because to me anything you do before the guy catches it it means he's how can a guy be down before he catches a ball yeah just common sense i mean i get it if you touch the guy you know, after he catches or even simultaneously, you know, you just land on the guy, he's down there. But if a guy is down before it, then, you know, then I would pass in a fear all the time if somebody beats you. Yeah. Why bother? Well, I think the idea is that the ball was sort of in his grasp and there was a hand on him. But in watching the replay in slow-mo, you can see the ball is not fully in his control yet while the hand is on him, and he slides right out of that hand. By the time he has control of it, I think I think it's pretty clear, or at least it's arguable, that he was no longer being touched and could get up and run. Yeah. Uh, uh, regardless, it, it didn't end up mattering, but you know, for his sake, he really deserved that one. I, it was an incredible play to Roger Lewis. His touching him was not a football play or a football motion or whatever they call it. Yeah. And I think that's where he got screwed personally. Yeah. You're right. That, that, if that's a touchdown and that's how it ends the game, he's going to get almost as many you know, mentions as the Beckham catch or the helmet catch just for like, oh, my God, look how they won the game. I mean, I go down and lure those other two. But... No. 
but that would be you know, yeah, definitely... yeah yeah it, that, that was it was an insane catch i mean he really got mugged um and you know a lot of guys wanted to kill roger lewis early on in the year and ben mcadoo for keeping him jerry reese for keeping him he's actually well, a that, pretty good player you know he's, he's well, not doesn't have, well they wanted to get rid of him because of the his off-the-field issues. I don't think it had anything to do with his on-the-field talent. I think it had a little bit to do with his on-the-field talent. Um, a lot no. of things. It, he he has a it, little he, bit of dropsies. He's a he's a fringe roster guy. He's a fourth, fifth receiver. People are – anybody's howling about him staying or getting off the roster. It's, it's purely because of what he did off the field, I think. I think it's a little bit of both. He, he does have some dropsy issues. Um, which I, as soon as we'll, we'll wait for it, I'm sure it'll happen again. There's still a long season left. Next time he drops a pass, we'll wait for the Roger Lewis. Why is he on this team? Kind of speech to happen, but it doesn't well, matter. Well, at this point, at this point, you need bodies now. I mean, yeah, that's true too. If if we still have Beckham and we have Shepard and we have, you know, uh, Brandon Marshall playing and you know our full complement of receivers, and he's running around and, and dropping passes, legitimate argument. Sure. You know, but right now. You're just patching together anything you can. I mean, we've said this yesterday at the game. This is like watching the second preseason game with guys. We spend all this time and energy talking about who the fifth receiver is in camp. And now we're at, you know, November 19th and there they all are. Yeah. We've moved from getting uh, guys who graduated from Don Bosco prep to guys who are still in Don Bosco prep. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, I think it's worth noting too. Uh, Janoris Jenkins came to play. He didn't just do well stat wise. Uh, you could see it on the field. The effort was there. He was making tackles. That doesn't undo the wrongs he did, but it's important to see that he bounced back in that way instead of doubling down on being an asshole. Which you is do which, it every yeah. Yep, I do it every week though. Yeah, especially when you're getting you get the big contract. You're the pro bowler. You're being relied on. Yeah. And uh, you and I, I, I had a problem with his uh, fourth quarter defensive pass interference call in which he picked off the pass that would have effectively ended the game. Ended the game. Um, ended the game. I said I would rewatch it and see how I felt about it. I'm going to say, eh. Uh, in my opinion, in that play, the wide receiver immediately initiated contact with him. And I mean immediately. Just shoved him and was pushing Janoris Jenkins back. And then sort of just turned around looking for the ball, and Janoris went up and got it. There was definitely contact there. I won't say it was holding. At at best, that was illegal contact. And even then, I think the wide receiver initiated it. Um, you know, I th- I think he got a little bit robbed there, but I don't hate the call as much as I did live. I mean, there's that. But Janoris Jenkins did also have another pick that was huge, huge momentum swing. Um, I believe earlier in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah, it was. It was still fourth. Yeah, yeah. Um, all around though, it was a great game. A lot of really good effort. One that nobody really thought the Giants would win, and uh, right from the get go, they were really taking it to Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, you could tell like in the first drive. This is you know in the first like this is not going to be the same same old same old. I mean, you know, again, we were kind of predicting play calling a lot of the time, but seemed like, you know, just in the defensive side of the ball, it felt like there was hope in this game early on. That's all you want. Hope. <laughs> you don't want to feel like you spent two hours getting to a half-empty stadium in freezing conditions just to see a waste of time. And it was pretty obvious early on this wasn't going to be a waste of time. 
they probably weren't going to win, but at least you felt like they're going to be competitive. So, yeah, and we were calling it early on about the third quarter. We're like, I think I think we're going to win this game. So, and yeah. I th- one of the things that um, is definitely a part of it, and it's part due to commitment and part due to just production. But Giants ran for over a hundred yards. Yeah. The yards per carry wasn't so spectacular. I mean, Darkwa, I didn't think it was he 3.6. Yeah. Something like that. 74 yards on 20 carries. It's not yeah. it's not bad. It's it's not great, but it's it's the fact that they stuck with it. Yeah. Well, again, I think the the, the conditions I think may have something to do with that as well. Well, this, this is this this is not going to be a team that's going to win games throwing the ball 35 40 times. Well, oh, not anymore. No, not not with this offensive line at all, and not with patchwork group of receivers. Yeah, and that, not, that's not that's work. that's the uh, the shaft of it, right? Um, this is a team that's really built to throw the ball, and now the roster is just decimated to the point where they are not built to do that anymore. But that's what they were supposed to do. So you don't really have the tools to just suddenly switch. Um, yeah, that's they really got the short end of the stick on injuries this year. Yeah, this has been ridiculous. I mean, the last couple of years have been pretty ridiculous, but this is like this takes the cake. Oh, for sure. Um, but nevertheless, uh, your New York Giants are two and eight, um, <laughs> knocking off AFC West first place team. Two, two, and, two and one in that division. Yeah, yes, we are. Um, and I think I was saying to you, I I have not checked back on the recording on this, but early on when we did our season predictions. There were three games that we both agreed they didn't have a shot in hell of winning. This is before injuries, and they were Denver, Kansas City, and Oakland. We are so far, you and I are 0 for 2, and the Giants are 2 and 0. Yeah, and guess what? That Oakland game looks a lot more winnable right now than it did back in August. Sure does. I mean, we think that the three biggest disappointments this year in the NFL have been the, you know, in really no particular order the Giants, the Bucks, and the Oakland. Raiders. I think you could throw the Packers in there, but it's a little unfair. That's not fair. That's an injury kind of wipes that out immediately. Yeah. But hey, I'll take a win. A win is a yeah. win. I'm I'm a happy guy. I've had a happy Monday. I hope you guys well, I'll tell are you one, too. I'll tell you one thing though. It does make looking forward to Thanksgiving a little more palatable. <laughs> the thought of uh, the thought of you know eating for eight hours and having to deal with the uh, you know the relatives and stuff. And everybody gets cranky and stuff. It's like okay. You say I can watch the Giants, but all of a sudden, if you know they've lost six in a row and look, look like god awful, it's like you want to watch this thing. So at least there's something to look forward to on Thursday night. You know, yeah. with the short week, with the short week, who knows? I mean, Washington just blew, you know, a game they had no business losing. Um, I'll tell you one thing though. Just looking really quickly at Thanksgiving games, Dallas is really getting screwed. I mean, they play the Sunday night game mm-hmm. and turn around and have to play on Thursday. I mean. I guess that's the price you pay for being popular is you're going to stick you on prime time as much as they can. And that was probably on paper the marquee matchup of the weekend. But my God, you know, every moment counts when you're playing Thursday night. And they, that game didn't end until, I don't know, way after my NyQuil kicked in. So it sucks for them. Yeah. Fuck you know, them, but. <laughs> <laughs> on, on that note, the Giants will be playing Thursday, Thanksgiving night. If you are still awake after your trip to Fandos, um, the Giants are playing at 8.30, 8 o'clock? 8.30, 8, 8, 8.30. I'm yeah. sure they're going to squeeze an extra long pregame show to milk more ratings and more There's going to be uh, advertising a whole, whole thing they, they filmed already with Joe Theismann and Lawrence Taylor. I read Oh, great. Talking about breaking turkey legs? 
You know, actually, if both teams weren't so terrible, I'd think that's really funny, but it's almost too metaphorical at this point. Yeah, at least you don't have the the, uh, John Madden explaining for two hours what a turducken is again. That old old tired rap. No one cares. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, It'll be... This, I think, is going to be a good game. We'll cover that uh, Wednesday morning. You'll have... Tomorrow morning, you'll have our coverage of a preview of that game as best we can so we can yeah. give you Thursday morning to start cooking your turkey. Oh, <laughs> sounds like fun. Cr- Cranky Fan doesn't cook anything. I don't cook anything. I sit on the couch. I eat. I sleep. <laughs> I just kind of lay there. Yeah, same here. <laughs> so, again, uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump where I will be tweeting out all sorts of any injury notes that happen after the fact – Again, we have to kind of cram this episode so we can give you your your Thanksgiving to yourself. But you can get short little bursts on Twitter from me there. Um, and again, you can always find our episodes being broadcast uh, or linked to on Twitter at JustGiantsPod. And I am in the thick of the Chip Kelly watch, so you can follow me on Twitter at TheCrankyFan as always. And you can find this award-winning program on iTunes and on SoundCloud. You can Subscribe to each of those find platforms. Give us a five-star rating and a wonderful review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more Giant fans will find us and curse us out on Twitter, yeah. which is happening a lot. So I love that. If you curse us out, fuck you. But if not... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> let's go Giants. With that, with that, go Giants. <laughs> go Giants. <laughs>